Our gracious Heavenly Father, O Lord, you have lavished your grace upon us. We're thankful for your amazing grace. That's why we sing songs like Victory in Jesus, because of the fact that we have put our faith in the faithful one. And um, we thank you for the fact that you have given us everything that pertains to life and godliness. We thank you for the fact that we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And Father, we want to um, be people who live on this earth with a sense of mission because of your greatness, telling of the excellencies of what you've done in our hearts and lives through the person and the work of Jesus. Father, this morning we do pray for those amongst us and those who are home with sickness or, Lord, on bed rest. Um, Father, who are um, in hospitals, um, our brethren who are sick, who are hurting. I pray for your comfort upon them, that you would encourage them, that you would remind them of the the God and Father of all comfort, who comforts them in all of their afflictions. Lord, may you have your hand upon them. I pray for those amongst us who are suffering even just from emotional or spiritual distress. Father, who those who are discouraged, those who are, oh Lord, sad. There's so much to be sad and sorrowful about in a broken world. But Father, we as Christians are those who have sorrow and sadness, but not without hope because of Christ. I pray that as we see the sufferings of this present world, that, Lord, we would um, in a greater way anticipate the coming of Jesus, that we would be those who would eagerly seek for his return. Father, help us to set our eyes um, on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, as we see all of the evil in our world, and help us to be on mission as we do that. Father, this morning I do pray for teachable and sensitive hearts as we deal Father, with a um, a topic that oftentimes is a difficult one for us to look into God's Word about personally, I pray that you would help us to be humble in our hearts and teachable, that we would respond um, as doers of your Word and not merely hearers who are self-deceived. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, turning your Bibles to Luke 21. Luke chapter 21, verses 1 through 4 is our passage this morning. As you know, we have a very unique uh, worship service uh, today after our sermon and as part of our worship service we're going to have one of our elders pastors Lou Stone coming up and giving us the yearly uh, update on our finances as a church and uh, this is something that we do every year so no need to be alarmed by that but we have chosen to embed that time into our worship service this year so it's it is a unique service and in light of that we thought it fitting to focus our attention this morning um, for a shorter message on the issue of faithfulness. Faithfulness. Now we know that when we talk about faithfulness as Christians, we don't put our trust as Christians on our faithfulness. Amen? We're always going to fall short of being as faithful as we should be before the Lord. We put our trust on the faithful one, the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who, has, who said on the cross, it is finished the one who paid sufficiently for our sins so that by trusting in him, we have the forgiveness of sins. We've been reconciled to our maker. We can address God now um, as our heavenly father. Christ is the faithful one who paid for our sins. And then in response to what Christ has already accomplished for us as Christians who trusted in him, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2 tells us that we need to live life now as an act of worship before our Heavenly Father. That all of life is worship. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says that we ought to present ourselves as a living 
and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is our reasonable service of worship. It's reasonable, it's logical, says the Apostle Paul there. In light of the tender mercies of God, which he's expounded on for 11 chapters in the book of Romans, that you would now live your life as a life of worship to the Lord. All of life is now worship for the believer. This would include all areas of our Christian walk. We are called to be faithful in response to the faithful one. Now, along the lines of this issue of faithfulness, what would you say if I told you, theoretically, that about 75% of those who call Calvary Bible Church their home don't ever or rarely read their Bibles? What would you say about that? What would you say if I told you that about 75% of those who call Calvary their home don't ever or rarely pray and talk to their Heavenly Father in ongoing communication with Him? What would be your response to that? Or that about three-quarters of the church approximately don't actively fellowship at all outside of Sunday morning showing up to the worship service. That basically during the week... Um, 75% of our membership or those who call Calvary home are living pretty much isolated lives individualistically, not in community with other believers. What would you say if those percentages were true? Which I'm glad to say they are not. But what would be your response to that? I assume, I would assume that you would be a bit concerned, amen, about those percentages if they were true. As shepherds, we would certainly be concerned And we would be concerned not because of the statistics themselves on a piece of paper, but because of what the stats would indicate about the condition, the spiritual health of God's people here at Calvary Bible Church. We would be concerned because those statistics might tell us something about the condition of our hearts that would be troubling for us as shepherds, that would be harmful for our body. Now those are some typical areas, the ones that I mentioned that we focus on when we start thinking about faithfulness in the Christian life. Those are some of the areas that we often talk about and that are very regularly spoken of in conversations. But one area that I want to talk to you about this morning that we often, as God's people, neglect to be faithful in is in the area of generous and consistent giving to the church and to God's kingdom. I want to talk to us about that particular issue this morning because you see to many people maybe many of us in here giving regularly is an optional thing it's only for those who maybe have the means to give to those who have great jobs and so therefore you give because you have a great job for some of us we think um, you know if I had more money if I had a better earnings maybe I can give to the Lord more regularly I could give more to the Lord And even to some of us, we never even think about this area of our Christian life as an area that we ought to be faithful in. And so this particular passage this morning is is so helpful for us as we briefly consider the issue of faithful stewardship in the area of giving to the Lord's work. And as we reflect on this issue, beloved, I want you to think of this time as a time of, of, of family matters time. You know, I assume that in your home, there are very important issues that you discuss as a family from time to time. Mature families that are in tune with one another discuss everything that is important to the life of your family, right? And so even in the church, one of the most helpful metaphors 
for who the church is, is that the church is family. We are a spiritual family. And so I want to frame this time from the perspective of we are spiritual family and we're dealing with family matters right now together. And along those lines, if you're visiting with us, this is a very unique service, obviously. Or if maybe you've been coming just for a short time, you're checking out Calvary and all of that, I want you to know this message is not specifically for you as if we're asking you to give something to Calvary. In fact, we don't want you to give anything at all. This message is for those of us who are either members of Calvary Bible Church or those who call Calvary home. You're intending to become a member. You love what's going on here in this church. You're encouraged by what the Lord is doing. You really see that this is a church where the Bible is taught, where the gospel is preached in an unadulterated way. You're encouraged about that. You're encouraged when you see qualified leaders who are seeking to shepherd God's people here. You're encouraged about the biblical fellowship that you are uh, continually being encouraged to be partaking of, about biblical discipleship happening. This message is directly for you and for myself. This is family time, okay? So I want you to frame, I want us to frame what we're about to talk about here from that particular perspective. Now the context leading to this passage here in Luke 21 verses 1 through 4, if you're already there, is very important. This is, this happens during the last week of our Lord's life before he dies. In fact, it's Tuesday or Wednesday of Passover week here. Thousands of people have poured into Jerusalem for worship because it's the Passover week. It's a time of feasts. And just two days earlier, Jesus had his triumphal entry. And then two days after this, Jesus is going to be betrayed and he's going to die on the cross for sins. And on on top of all of this, things have really escalated by this time with the religious leaders. We've been even seeing in the Gospel of Mark how for for a long time, by this time, more than three years, these religious leaders have been in conflict with Jesus. And now these religious leaders have reached the point of no return. They hate Jesus. They do not want him to continue to, to teach and to preach and all of that. They are looking for an opportunity to falsely accuse him, to betray him, and to kill him. They want to destroy our Lord. But the Lord isn't afraid of these guys. He never pulls punches with these guys. And especially now, he pulls his disciples aside and he warns his disciples about these false teachers. In fact, notice in Luke chapter 20 and verse 46, what he warns his disciples about with regards to these false teachers. Verse 46, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and love respectful greetings in the marketplaces and chief seats in the synagogues and places of honor at banquets, who devour widows' houses and for appearance's sake offer long prayers. These will receive greater condemnation. Jesus warns his disciples and condemns these religious leaders for their hypocrisy, doing things in the, for, uh, uh, to, to be pleasing in the eyes of other people. He condemns them for their corruption. They exploit people to advance their own causes and for their pride. They want glory. These religious leaders want to be the center of attention. And then it's on the heels of this stern warning concerning the religious leaders that we read this in chapter 21 and verse 1. Look there. And Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. 
Now, we know from back in chapter 20 and verse 1 of Luke that Jesus is in the temple, he's ministering, and after some forthright conversations with these religious leaders, he takes some time in the temple to observe those who are bringing tithes and offerings to the temple into the treasury. They're in the temple. There was an area in the temple called the Court of Women where um, all people could be, including females, and in this location, location, there were 13 metal boxes, trumpet-shaped openings, narrow at the top, wider at the bottom. And it was into these that people would put in their, pour in their coins and their offerings and their tithes. Now remember, again, this is Passover, which means that people are coming in the, in the thousands into Jerusalem to worship and offer monetary offerings in the temple. And they are putting their money into these, these metal trumpet-like receptacles. And you can just picture it, right? The bigger the offering or the greater the offering, the more coins, the longer and the louder the deposit so that people who were nearby could be impressed by the amount of money that certain people would put in there. Picture that. This made it easy for people to be proud and to be hypocritical about their giving. This is why our Lord Jesus would often instruct in that day and age about the dangers of hypocrisy and externalistic religion. Because there were people that were susceptible to that. And Jesus would often teach, essentially, it's not about those who are watching. It's it's not about um, what you bring before the Lord, externalistically speaking. It's about your offering before the Lord as unto the Lord. Jesus wanted a heart righteousness before God. And he would often teach about this. And so here's Jesus in the temple observing the giving of offerings, and then the camera zooms in on one specific worshiper. An unlikely worshiper. Someone that if if we were there with thousands of people around, maybe we would actually ignore this person or not even pay attention to them. It's almost as if they didn't exist to us. But Jesus and this camera zooms in on this particular little lady. Verse 2, notice. And Jesus saw a poor widow putting in two small copper coins. We know from Scripture that widows were among the poorest of the poor in society. So poor that if you read James chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, there James instructs believers that if you want to practice pure and undefiled religion in the eyes of God, then you ought to be a person who is caring for orphans and widows in their distress. Why? Because widows were people who were amongst the poorest of the poor in society. Most widows spent their lives in homes which belonged to their biological fathers and to their husbands. And because they were women, they controlled very little property, had very little economic opportunity. And so this left them very vulnerable economically and socially after their biological father or husbands were gone. And so these were very needy individuals among the most needy in society. And Luke only strengthens the point about the the neediness of of widows by saying, if you notice, that this widow was a poor widow. In fact, she was so poor that all she had were two small copper coins. That is all that she had. At the time, these were the smallest coins used by the Jews. Now think about this for a minute. What this woman put in, these two copper coins was equivalent to less than one cent. Less than one of our American pennies, if you will. Less than one cent. 
Mark's account, parallel account, tells us that there were rich who were putting in large amounts, perhaps in impressive fashion, some of these pilgrims that had come into Jerusalem and had saved money for their yearly offering. They're putting in impressive amounts. And this poor little widow gives a laughable two copper coins. That's all she gives. Less than a penny. I mean, if the account ended there, you and I might conclude that this lady is crazy. What is she trying to prove here? And what does God care anyway about such an insignificant amount? I mean, what difference in the grand scheme of things, as thousands are putting money into this offering, these offering receptacles, what difference are two copper coins less than a penny going to make? But Jesus takes notice, doesn't he? And there's a lesson that Jesus wants to make to his disciples. Look at verse 3. And Jesus said, Truly I say to you. Now anytime Jesus says truly or truly, truly, or verily, verily, this is final and definitive. Here is Jesus' assessment, authoritative assessment of what he is observing about this little lady. Truly I say to you, this poor widow Put in more than all of them. And we might object, but Lord, no, she didn't. She put in less than a penny. Lord, how is it that she put in more than all of the others? How is that? Answer? What does the scripture say? 1 Samuel chapter 16 and verse 7. Some of you know this verse. For God sees not As man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but say it with me, but the Lord looks at the heart. The Lord looks at the heart. 1 Samuel 16, 7. Yes, in the eyes of men, this poor widow put in a small amount, but in the eyes of God, she put in more than the rest. You see, church family, this wasn't about the money. It wasn't even about the amount that she gave. For some of us, oftentimes what deters us from giving to the Lord is because we think, well, um, we can't, I can't give a lot. I can't give as much as other people give. Or maybe God doesn't even notice. In the grand scheme of things, what does it matter? As long as other people in the church are giving, what does it matter if I give this measly little amount, everything that I can possibly just give? We think to ourselves that way. And in Jesus... Is focused not on the amount or the money in and of itself, but on what her giving and her actions at that moment show about the condition of her heart before the Lord, right? Jesus expands in verse 4. Notice, for they all out of their surplus put into the offering. That is, out of their abundance they put into the offering, but she out of her poverty put in all that she had to live on. In other words, she gave sacrificially. She gave in a committed way. I want you to notice two things here. One, Jesus does not condemn nor commend the other givers, right? It's not about them. The focus and the camera is zooming in on this particular little lady. Neither, secondly, is the point here, as some false teachers have asserted, that we should give all to God, by which they mean give it to me, right? That we should give all to God, like this little widow, or were unfaithful and won't receive blessings from the Lord, by which they mean prosperity in the eyes of the world, right? 
That's not what this text is talking about. That's not the point of this text here. Rather, Jesus' lesson for them and for us is that in giving everything she had to live on, this poor widow showed something about her relationship with God. Her dependence upon Him. Her trust in the Lord. And most of all, can I tell you this? Her love for the Lord. She was an example of faithful stewardship. And see, for us, again, often we think, once I earn more money, then I will give. Or, unless I'm able to give a lot of money like other people in comparison to others, then I'm going to begin to give. But otherwise, I just can't give anything at all. But we need to learn the lesson from this poor widow, right? That from a human standpoint, she wasn't in a position to give. From a human standpoint, she's as poor as they come. She's a poor widow. I mean, where's her next meal going to come from? How's she going to pay for her bills? How's she going to get around? I mean, the excuses would have been all there for her, right? For not giving at all. And yet Jesus' final and authoritative assessment is that she gave more than the rest in whose eyes? In Christ's eyes. In the eyes of our Lord. Because that's what matters. She was a faithful steward from God's perspective. Can I ask you this morning, Christian, are you a faithful steward who contributes to the work of the kingdom? See, as Christians, we are called to give to the Lord's work. Not in comparison to others like the hypocritical leaders of Jesus' day who are eye-pleasers. Not compulsively from guilt because we have, we, we feel pressured or coerced to give. Not looking to be commended by other people in the church. Oh, wow, look at how, how much that person gives. Wow, they're truly spiritual. Those are not reasons why we should give. We are called to give as unto the Lord which means that we give regularly and consistently, which means that we give in a calculated way, that we pre-plan ahead with foresight. We set aside from the top what we will give to the Lord from a heart of worship and love for Him. We are called to give generously and joyfully with the right kind of an attitude, for God loves a what? A cheerful giver. Paul described the Macedonian Christians as faithful stewards in 2 Corinthians 8. We don't have time to go there, but he writes there that they gave out of their deep poverty. Not because they had a lot. And beyond their ability they gave. That means sacrificially they gave to the Lord's work through Paul. They gave generously, sacrificially, and joyfully the Macedonian Christians. And Paul affirms them in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Same thing with the Philippian church in Philippians chapter 4. Paul commends the Philippian church there because they gave as an act of worship to the Lord generously time and time again. They were kingdom-minded citizens, the Philippian church and the Macedonians. Please understand that today isn't about money in and of itself. Let me say that again. Please understand that today isn't about money in and of itself. God doesn't need your money. God doesn't need my money. God doesn't need anything from us. Amen? He doesn't need anything from us. He certainly didn't need this woman's penny, did he? He didn't. Just like he didn't need 
All of those rich people pouring in coin after coin after coin into the treasury. God doesn't need anything from us because it's all His. It's all His. That's what the Scriptures tell us. That He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Psalm 50 and verse 10. Psalm 50 and verse 12. If I were hungry, says the Lord, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and all it contains. You know what the Hebrew means when it says all? All. Every single little thing. Things that we can't even see that are so small and the amazing heavenly entities that we appreciate and adore God for. Everything belongs to God. Psalm 24 verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and all it contains. All means all. Everything is His including the money in your pocket right now, the money in your bank account, the money for your retirement. God owns everything. He owns you. He owns me. We are His creatures. He is Creator. He owns everything. Absolutely everything. He doesn't need to ask us for anything. He doesn't need your money, which is really not your money. It's about faithful stewardship of His money and His resources because how we use His money and His resources, brothers and sisters, is an indication of where our hearts are. Jesus said in Matthew 6.21, Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. In other words, where our money goes is an indication of what we treasure, of what we worship. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. But you know what the ultimate motivation for faithful stewardship is? It's faith in the faithful one, Christ. It's faith in the faithful one. As with anything in the Christian life, we don't obey the Lord in the area of giving because we want to score brownie points with the Lord because God needs our money or because we want God to love us more or out of a guilt trip, we give faithfully as an act of love and gratitude to our Savior because of His, the lavishing of His grace on the cross for our sins. Amen? Because He's a gracious Savior. He gave His life. And He gave His life so that as 2 Corinthians 5.15 says, those who live, i.e. Christians who have been awakened from spiritual death, would no longer live for themselves, but for Christ who died and rose again on their behalf. It's an act of love and gratitude to our Savior. 2 Corinthians 5.9 is beautiful. For you know, writes Paul to the Corinthians, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that you through His poverty may become rich. Contemplate your Savior this morning in terms of this encouragement to faithful stewardship. Christ, your Savior, Christian, generously, joyfully, and sacrificially gave of His time and His infinite resources. And the response out of worshipful hearts for the grace of Christ should be faithfulness in the area of stewardship. Amen? Because Christ was faithful first and foremost to us and continues to be faithful to providing for us day by day. Amen? Let me pray for us and then Lou Stone was going to be coming up here. Father, help us by your grace to be faithful stewards of what you've entrusted to us. Oh Lord, you have lavished your grace upon us. 
Every day, if we just sat down and on a piece of paper wrote down the way that you have blessed us, big things and little things, things that we often don't even think about, Lord, we would not have enough time to be able to rehearse those things and put them in writing. Thank you for your wondrous grace. And of course, the greatest grace of all is the sacrifice of your son on the cross so that, Father, those who put their trust in Jesus can be reconciled to their maker, can be forgiven of their sins, can, be, can receive eternal life. Father, thank you. And I pray that it is out of a heart of, that understands your grace at the cross and in all of our Christian walk that we would respond to the truth of your word by being faithful in all areas, even in the area of faithful stewardship. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.